Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord, and we have a very special saint to share with you today, St. Vincent de Paul, Apostle of the Poor. Our cry rings out to the whole world, take notice. We are in the times of great saints in the making. We are in the times of unsurpassed saints and of unequaled sinners. Enemies of God, we put you on notice. We've been there before. We've suffered the arrows of persecution in times past, and we are still here. We are not finished. In the past, for the last 2,000 years, just as it appeared the end was near, the church was about to collapse, the world was coming to an end, God raised up super saints, those who said yes to God's call to holiness. One such great saint in the making, one soul who reached for and received the crown of glory in heaven was St. Vincent de Paul. The Lord said, I will raise the lowly to confound the proud. The church is in need. France, eldest daughter of the church, will give the world and the church a 17th century Mother Teresa. St. Vincent de Paul came from humble circumstances. He was born into a family of poor farmers. Coming from the poor, St. Vincent would always have a special place in his heart and his vocation for the poor, whether physically or spiritually. Holiness was evident in Vincent from infancy. His family said from the earliest years he would become elated when he was praying. As a child, he could be heard singing and praying as he tended the cattle in the fields. A seed of faith had been planted by God and nurtured by his holy family. Do you have a future super saint in your family? St. Vincent showed a thirst and aptitude for learning which was further enhanced by a truly virtuous soul. Seeing this, his father scraped together what little he had to secure an education for this special son with the Franciscan friars. When Vincent had been in the school four years, he came to the attention of Mr. Comet, a nobleman of the village, who asked him to tutor his children. This overjoyed Vincent as what little he earned would enable him to cease being a financial burden on his family. In 1596, at 20 years old, Vincent entered the University of Toulouse, where he studied and prepared for the priesthood. In 1600, Vincent was to realize his dream. He was ordained a priest after having received the tonsure and minor orders of the Franciscan order. St. Vincent's walk was the living out of the gospel. Like St. Francis, his focus in life was to be more like Jesus. But initially, he saw Jesus studying the Word of God and the traditions of the church. The more he did, the more he became the gospel. Although he desired to continue his studies, his lack of funds and the debt he had incurred did not permit him to do so. But his holiness and generosity toward the poor came to the attention of a good woman who, upon her death, bequeathed her estate to him. In 1605, Vincent left for Marseille to retrieve the inheritance of 500 crowns, which she had left him. As the estate consisted of a sum of silver owed to the departed by an unscrupulous debtor who had fled to Marseille rather than pay. In Marseille, Vincent found the scoundrel only to have him offer far less than the debt owed. But having wisdom, Vincent accepted the paltry sum and prepared to return to Toulouse. In 
A young gentleman staying at the same inn as Vincent suggested he book passage on the same boat he was taking to Narbonne. As this fit his budget and would save him time, Vincent joyfully accepted. The two newfound friends boarded the ship. The voyage began smoothly. The sun was shining. The Mediterranean Sea was calm. All was well aboard the ship. But suddenly, ominously in the horizon, loomed three ships carrying the colors of the Saracen Turks. They signaled the ship and pulled up to board it. The Turkish pirates commenced fighting immediately upon boarding. Although the French sailors, along with Vincent joining in, fought bravely, they were greatly outnumbered and the ship was soon seized. Vincent's dream of returning home was now a horrible nightmare. The deck, brilliantly lit earlier by the rays of the sun, was now covered with blood and lifeless bodies. The wounded Vincent and those not killed were taken prisoners and placed in chains for the rest of the voyage. At the end of eight days, after the pirates had satisfactorily benefited from other piracies, they set out for Tunisia. When they landed, in order not to be challenged by the French authorities, the pirates falsely claimed that they had taken the slaves. Vincent was one of them from a Spanish ship. They paraded them around the port, offering them for sale. The prospective buyers probed and inspected just as they would animals. After many humiliating and painful exhibitions required of the prisoners, Vincent was bought by a fisherman. As Vincent was not a good sea traveler, he soon became sick and useless to the fisherman. He was sold to an elderly physician. Now, the physician was kind and quickly learned to love Vincent, one problem was that the doctor was deeply interested in magic and tried endlessly to share the knowledge he had amassed his 50 years of research of alchemy. The other, being a Muslim, he tried to convert Vincent to Islam. St. Vincent prayed tirelessly to Our Lady, begging for her intercession, and to whom he gave credit for his victory over this temptation. The old man died, and Vincent was now the chattel of his nephew, who had inherited Vincent as part of the legacy. The nephew was as, as cruel and heartless as his uncle had been kind and generous. But God is always listening and never gives us more than we can bear. Vincent was sold to an apostate Christian. His new owner sent Vincent to the desert to serve his three wives. One was Turkish and a Muslim but she was fascinated by Vincent's holy demeanor and would listen to his chanting of the Psalms, the Salve Regina, and other hymns as Vincent went about his work. The woman would look into Vincent's tear-filled eyes so obviously deeply in love with his God. She began scolding her husband for having left his religion. Although not a Christian, she was to be an instrument God would use to release the man from the bondage of his own apostasy. He and Vincent escaped to France and Marseille and finally Avignon. The fallen Christian made peace with the church, went to Rome with Vincent, and joined an order which served the sick in hospitals. The Vatican was awesome for Vincent. Here was the Holy Land upon which the center of his faith rested. His church nourished by the blood of the martyrs, 
his eyes filled with tears and his voice choked with emotion as he filed past the tombs an unbroken succession of popes who had served the church, beginning with the first pope, St. Peter. He could have stayed and basked in the glory that was Rome, but he knew that he had to go on to Paris. In Paris, he was able to get lodgings in the area of Saint-Germain. But peace was to be short-lived for Vincent. A judge from Bordeaux who lived in the same house as Vincent was robbed of a considerable sum of money. Although Vincent protested he was innocent, he was not believed. He was to bear the stigma of being a thief for six years. During the six long years, without friends or anyone who believed in him, he never endeavored to defend himself. He just bore the scandal resignedly repeating over and over again, God knows the truth. Finally, six years after the fact, the truth always surfacing, a criminal arrested for another crime, wanting to clear his conscience, confessed to the crime which Vincent was accused of. St. Vincent never told anyone of his ordeal. Instead, he used this as a teaching on retreats he gave. Without using any names, he stressed the positive rather than the negative, remembering and teaching that we can sustain the pain of false accusations which pierce our hearts by truth, always remembering that God in his timetable will reveal the truth if it is his will. Thank God. Even after six years in Vincent's case, it was God's will. Not all was sad for Vincent in Paris. There he met up with the holy priest, Father de Berot, who would later become a cardinal. Again, we see God's omnipotent chessmen putting his chess pieces together in position, lining them up to serve him and his church. Father de Berot asked St. Vincent to serve as a cure in a small church outside of Paris. Then he commissioned him to be spiritual director to the Countess Jogui and serve as teacher to her children. St. Vincent was a champion on the sacraments, preaching often on most especially the sacrament of penance. One day, while the Countess was away on a trip, someone came to St. Vincent and asked to go to him to have him hear his confession of a man who was dying. Before administering extreme unction, St. Vincent asked the man to make a general confession. It appears that when he asked the man certain questions to help him examine his conscience, St. Vincent discovered he had previously made imperfect confessions because he had not properly examined his conscience. This rendered his previous confessions sacrilegious. When Countess Juguet returned and her subject told her he might have died with sins on his souls if St. Vincent had not properly prepared him, she begged him to preach in their country church that Sunday, which was the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. After hearing his homily, the people flocked in such great numbers to have their confessions heard, St. Vincent had to ask the local Jesuits for help. St. Vincent's congregation have celebrated January the 15th as a solemn feast day from that day till today in commemoration of this momentous occurrence in their community's history.
The time came when Father de Barot told Vincent it was time to leave the Countess' home and go out to serve the common people who were in such dire need of spiritual nourishment. Gathering five other priests, Vincent formed a little community, and they began converting many back to the true faith, calling many, including even royalty, to cease living scandalous lives painful to God. Although Countess Jogu was in full accord with the great work that Vincent was doing, she made him promise he would never abandon the care of her soul and that he would be there to help her at the moment of her death. With that, the Countess, always devoted to those who God had entrusted to her, convinced her husband to establish a company of missionaries devoted to assisting and instructing the peasants. It's 1618. Enter St. Francis de Sales into St. Vincent's life. Now, St. Francis de Sales, Bishop of Geneva, several years before, had founded the Order of the Visitation, whose charism was to visit the poor sick. He had shared this dream with St. Jane Francis de Chantal, but as it was not permitted at that time for sisters to come and go from their convent, he had to forsake his project. As the sisters were cloistered and could not leave the convent, they had to be content with opening up boarding schools. Who to teach the young women? The Holy Bishop and Jane Francis de Chantal summoned St. Vincent de Paul and asked him to teach the daughters of the nobility who boarded there. Now, although eager to be with the poor, St. Vincent agreed out of obedience to the bishop and respect to their friendship. When St. Francis de Sales died, St. Vincent became St. Jane Francis de Chantal's spiritual director. But his commitment to the Visitation Sisters and their foundress did not deter St. Vincent from serving the poor and the sick. God always forms holy clusters, putting people together he has chosen to do his will. We can see with all the diversions placed in our saint's path he needed help. Besides, God never wanting any of us to think that it is we who are responsible for the conversion of healing that comes about chooses others in our lives to help us. And so it was with St. Vincent de Paul. Enter Margaret Nazou, who had been teaching the illiterate how to read and write. Hearing of St. Vincent, they joined and they set out to join him. Though she and her lady friends were of good intention, they lacked the necessary direction and leadership to do the work. And so a lady of the nobility, well-educated and talented, comes into St. Vincent's life, Louise de Marillac, whom God sent to him in 1625. Louise had been married a short time when her husband died. Having heard of St. Vincent and his work with the poor and the sick, she left Clichy, where she was from, and set out for Paris to meet him. She told St. Vincent her heart's desire was to serve the poor, that it was all she could think of. God's will be done, eight years later, in 1633, Margaret Nazou and her ladies came together in Louise de Marillac's home, and the Sisters of Charity, also called the Sisters of St. Vincent de Paul, was founded. This is the same congregation that Catherine Labore belonged to when Our Lady appeared to her as Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception and asked her to have a medal struck, which became the Miraculous Medal. 
In 1642, the little company was actively tending the sick when their beloved Margaret Nazu went to her eternal reward, having contracted the dreaded plague from the sick she so loved. Saints and saint makers, show me a saint, and I will show you the instruments in his or her life who formed their sainthood through love or hatred, jealousy, and avarice. All these St. Vincent de Paul knew and had in his life. In addition to all of this, in the year 1625, at their bidding, the Count and Countess' brother, Archbishop Jean Gombet of Paris, gave the new community a college to house their new institution, with the Count and Countess generously providing the necessary funds. In April 1625, St. Vincent and his company took possession, and he was on his way. True to his promise, St. Vincent attended the Countess right until the last moments of her life on June 23, 1625. Having done so, he was free to join his congregation. St. Vincent drew up a rule which was approved by Pope Urban VIII in 1632. King Louis XIII gave his added support, and in 1633, the regular canons of St. Victor gave the priory of St. Lazarus to the new community which, being very spacious, became the mother house of the congregation. This is how the first fathers of the mission got the name Lazarites or Lazareans. Now, this community is not composed of order priests, but secular priests who take the four vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and stability. They are committed to labor among the poor, feeding their souls as well as their bodies, the sanctification of their own souls through spiritual exercises prescribed by their founder, St. Vincent de Paul, the conversion of sinners, and preparing men for the priesthood. So great was his work that Pope Alexander VII wrote a brief declaring that all receiving holy orders must first make a 10-day retreat under the spiritual direction of the fathers of St. Vincent's congregation. In his lifetime, this priest from the most humble of backgrounds, without earthly riches, without high position in society, was to touch the world, not only of the 17th century, but to continue long after he had gone to the Father. He himself founded 25 houses which stretched to the far corners of Europe, from France to Piedmont, Italy, to Poland and other countries. Never satisfied, St. Vincent founded other confraternities and called them charity. They were dedicated to attending the needs of the sick. Then another branch of charity called Dames of the Cross was dedicated to the schooling of young girls. And another was created to care for orphan children, most of whom had been abandoned by their parents. Though these corporal acts of mercy were paramount in his mind and heart, he relentlessly pursued his vocation of bringing the sacrament of penance to everyone. This saint cared for the poor and rich equally, the famous and the infamous, kings and queens as well as paupers without homes. No one more important than the other, he and she were all children of God. Amidst all the blows, slander, and controversies which colored his life, this true son of Jesus kept his eyes on the cross, often especially at the strike of each hour, making the sign of the cross on his chest secretly with his thumb. No matter what happened in his life, good or bad, he always attributed it to the will of God. Although he longed to be united with his Lord in heaven, 
he was sensitive to the suffering those on earth and peacefully served them. St. Vincent never shrunk from telling the truth as he knew it. Now, there was a controversy concerning divine grace. Michael Bias was a professor and doctor of divinity at Louvain, the world's most famous and renowned university, which was attended by many famous priests, including Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Bias proposed a theory concerning the grace bestowed upon man before and after the fall, and other speculations, which among 76 other hypotheses were condemned by Pope Pius V in 1567. Bias accepted the Pope's decision and disavowed all he had written, including his theory on grace. But Cornelius Jansenius and John Berger, students of Levain years later, came up with theories of divine grace based on the errors of Bias, which had been condemned. They were so committed to their new theory that Jansenius wrote a book concerning his theories on divine grace. Jansenius subsequently became a bishop and never published the book. Before his death, he said he would wait on the judgment of Mother Church regarding his writings. Sadly, after Jansenius died, his friend Verga had the book published with some embellishments of his own. He became the foremost and most articulate proponent of Jansenism. He was so eloquent that even St. Vincent was taken in by him. But when he heard Verger express some of his errors and teach that the church had failed five or six hundred years before, St. Vincent renowned him and his false theology. Feeling the weight of responsibility we all have to speak the truth and defend the church against her defectors, St. Vincent used every means at his disposal to expose these errors. St. Vincent loved the sacraments and stressed the importance of all seven sacraments on the mystical body of Christ. He emphasized especially the sacraments of penance and the Eucharist. When he taught on confession, he repeated over and over again the importance of making a sincere and perfect confession, being truly sorry for our sins, the danger being those pretending true remorse are more accountable for this sin than all the sins they may have eliminated from their confession. Because this sin is not only against the sacrament of confession, but against the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, whom they are receiving unworthily. At the end, good and worthy father, his thoughts were of those he was leaving behind. It was 1658. Knowing they would need direction after he had gone to the father, St. Vincent left each of his sons a small book of rules he had written for them and pleaded with them to live by these rules. His congregation was again affirmed and confirmed by two more popes, Alexander VIII and Clement X. Like the other great saints before him, he gave to the last ounce of his blood. At 80 years old, his body racked with fever, drenched with sweat, awake most of the night, sleep impossible due to his uncontrollable shaking. Nevertheless, he awakened as always at four in the morning. He did as he had done his 60 years of priesthood. He spent his first three hours praying, then celebrated Mass, and then after Mass, prayed for those in the last throes of agony that they might have a peaceful death. Precious saint, servant of God, Father Vincent received the last sacraments, gave his last words of direction to his missionaries gathered round him. Then his head fell back gently, and he peacefully went to the Lord and his mother whom we are sure were there waiting to bring him home. Well done, little son. Welcome home. 
On the 27th of September, 1660, after having labored on earth 85 years, he was gone. His congregation buried him in the Church of St. Lazarus in Paris with much ceremony. They all came, those he had touched who had not preceded him home. They were an amazing bouquet of the faithful, all sizes, all colors, nobles and serfs, filing by his tomb, bidding their friend goodbye for a Mm. while. Miracles started immediately. The cause for his beatification was open. In 1712, an investigation of his remains found his body beautifully intact, incorrupt. A heavenly aroma arose from the open casket. His clothes were as fresh and unsoiled as they had been when he was buried 52 years before. The coffin was solemnly closed, and although the people had already proclaimed him a saint, now all waited for the findings of the church. Upon carefully, scrupulously going through his life, his writings, investigating miracles attributed to him, St. Vincent de Paul was declared blessed in 1729, and then in 1742, Pope Clement XII declared him a saint. In this dark world where the enemy of God is trying to block out the light who is Jesus, where the devil in his furtive fight to gain men's souls for Gehenna has deluded everyone into believing there is no such thing as sin, in this world where people have become amoral, not knowing right from wrong, a voice still cries out like St. John the Baptist, repent and be saved. Like his Savior, who died and had pity for all, even those crucifying him, like his Savior, who was born to serve mankind, like he who healed the lame and gave sight to the blind, St. Vincent never sacrificed his Father in heaven and his vocation on earth that of a priest on the altar, as he served the physical needs of the faithful. He never compromised his love for the church out of his love for the poor and the rich. For him, they were all one and the same, loving his God and his neighbor. The picture I think we will have forever when we think of this super saint is more than anything else. He was a priest, a true altar Christus, another Christ. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. We love you. Pray. Pray for our priests. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply, with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.